My name is Craig Thompson, I'm a senior pastor here, and it's our joy to have you with us this morning. We are indoors because it is raining outside, so I'm throwing things. Uh, whether you are with us here in the sanctuary or in the gymnasium in the back or at home, however, however it is that you've joined with us this morning, we are so thankful that you've gathered with us on this final Sunday before Christmas as we continue in our celebration of the birth of our Savior and Lord. A couple of announcements as we begin this morning. The office will be closed this week beginning Wednesday, so please keep that in mind. In addition, tonight we do have our candlelight service. It appears as though the weather is going to cooperate with us, and that is going to be out front of our sanctuary on the lawn. Looking forward to that. Uh, should be a wonderful time as we gather together and sing and hear from the Lord and uh, light some candles and hopefully just have a really good time together. So I hope that you can plan to be here with us for that. And then this Wednesday, uh, there are, uh, since the office is closed, there are no regularly scheduled things on Wednesday morning or Wednesday night. We do have a Christmas Eve service on thir- th- when's Christmas? Thursday, Thursday. Uh, I'm supposed to know what time that is, but right now I'm not sure. Is it 4? Four? 4 o'clock, I believe. So uh, at 4 o'clock on Christmas Eve, and that service will be indoors, uh, socially distanced. So uh, for those of you that can, we hope that you'll join with us on Christmas Eve at 4 o'clock for our annual Christmas Eve service. Having said all of that this morning, we're going to continue our, through our study of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand with me in honor of God's Word as we read from Isaiah chapter 9. And since I didn't mark my page, you'll give me just a moment. Let's read together. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later, latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor You have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that your word would be alive to us today. Father, we know that it is living and active. And so, Lord God, we pray that we would experience it only in its proper nature and character. Father, as we consider the love of God this morning, as we consider how you love and how much you love, I pray that our hearts would be open and receptive and overwhelmed by the reminder that, God, your love is patient and kind and that it is unending. Be with us this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
As we gather on this last Sunday before Christmas in 2020, I'm not sure that I can remember a year when we have ever needed Christmas more. Now, listen, theology police, don't come at me here. I know that we've always needed Jesus. Uh, incredible, okay? I, I know that. There's never been a time when mankind did not need Jesus. But in my lifetime, there's been nothing like the experience of 2020. Now, there have been hard days in the history of our world. Some, uh, no doubt, harder than what we have known. There have been plagues and famines and wars, even world wars, but in my mind, in my experience, in my 39 years, nothing exactly like this. And on this last Sunday of 2020, we gather to remember the love of God that was shown on that first Christmas, but also the love of God that is shown every single day. And that love that we should be living out week in and week out. When we think of love, there's no place in the Bible that explains or defines love more clearly than 1 Corinthians 13. But perhaps the saddest reality is that 1 Corinthians 13 has sort of been relegated to a wedding passage. We tend to run to 1 Corinthians 13 when we uh, are preparing a wedding ceremony. But when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, his intention was not to create a wedding liturgy. Instead... He was giving an exhortation to the Corinthian church to live out the love of God in their lives. The first three verses of first, the first three verses of First Corinthians thirteen. Y'all say that three times fast and see what happens. The first three verses of First Corinthians thirteen tell us of the importance of love. But in the next three verses, verses four through seven, Paul describes love. Now what's interesting is that Paul doesn't use adjectives to describe love, but in three verses of Scripture, Paul uses 15 verbs. Now, for those of you that might have forgotten, <clears throat> there is a difference between nouns and verbs and adjectives, for instance. A noun is a person, place, or a thing. So Craig is a proper noun. Person is a, uh, an improper noun. So uh, this stage is a thing upon which I stand. An, an adjective is a descriptive word. Cold, hot, wet, dry, loud, quiet. But a verb, a verb is an active word. Some of you that have taken uh, creative writing courses have probably encouraged to use more verbs. Our, our, our writing can get very dry and slow. Sometimes we get so caught up in descriptive words that we forget about the action that we're describing. Paul wanted there to be no doubt about love. When he described love and exhorted the Corinthians to love, he didn't describe love. We weren't told that love is dear, fond, caring, or passionate. No, love is active. DC Talk said love is a verb. George Strait said if you ain't loving, you ain't living, but y'all take whichever one you want. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude, and it doesn't insist on its own way. Love isn't irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. Love rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That's sort of the Craig Thompson version of 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. 
As we consider the love of God this Christmas, and as we continue our deep dive into Isaiah chapter 9 this morning, we should be considering love through the lens of 1 Corinthians 13. This active love of God. Because when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he wasn't creating out of whole cloth this idea of love. Instead, for those of you who are astute readers of God's Word, you have figured this out already. He was describing for them the love of God. And exhorting them to love one another just as Christ loves them. And so this morning as we consider the question, what is love or how does God love? There are three things I want us to point out, uh, I want to point out to you this morning out of Isaiah chapter 9. And, and some of this really out of prophecy as a whole. The first thing we see this morning is that God loves actively. When we come to Isaiah 9, we can't help but notice that this is not only a God who is far off. This is the God who is active in the happenings of our lives. Uh, This is uh, not a God who spoke the world into creation and then took his hand off of it and set it into motion. Our founding fathers were overwhelmingly Christian, our American founding fathers that is. Um, uh, but, But those who were not Christian were primarily deists. Now, uh, we have a few famous deists in our sort of founding father tree. Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, John Quincy Adams sort of jump out at us. Um, And there's a difference between this idea of Christianity and deism. Deists were not atheists, but instead what they believed was that God was far off. He was the creator, he was the author of wisdom... But he was not carefully involved in the daily affairs of the world. It was for this reason that Thomas Jefferson uh, and John Quincy Adams in particular rejected much of the New Testament because they believed that even this idea of a God who would be resurrected among the people was just complete insanity because God couldn't live among his people. But the problem is that when you read the Bible, you can't help but come face-to-face with a God who is not only transcendent, that is far off, but a God who is imminent, that is up close and personal, a God who is intimately involved in the affairs of the world. We can't square this far-off God with the God of the Bible. He's not a creator who set the world into motion like a spinning top and then got out of the way. He's actively involved in the affairs of the world. And, And here in Isaiah chapter 9, we see that. Because we see that it was this God who has sent Israel or would send Israel into judgment. It was this God who was offended by the sins of his people. It was this God who would judge his people. But it was also this God who was going to bring about blessing and hope. Because God loves actively. He wouldn't just bring about discipline. He would bear the light. And he would bring it with them. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. This is the view from the people, but tell me this, from where does the light come? God himself bears the light. And it is important for us to keep that in mind. The light didn't appear from out of nowhere. God brings the light. Jesus is the light of the world. God loves actively. And folks... That's really the celebration of Christmas, isn't it? This active love of God. This God who would step out of his throne in heaven and invade time and space. A God who loved actively enough to come and tabernacle among us. A God who himself was the very agent of creation. 
who would step down out of heaven and step into our mess. This is the hope that we have at Christmas. This is the active love of God at Christmas. God is active. But notice what I said, God is active. Not God was active. Not God will be active. God is still active in the affairs of men and women. It is for this reason that we pray with confidence. For the fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much, as I learned in the King James Version. That is, that God hears our prayers in real time and in real space. And God actually answers our prayers in real time and in real space because God is active. His love is active. God's love is a verb kind of love. Not a squishy, descriptive kind of love, but a love that invades, a a, a love that changes, that works. God loves actively. The second thing we see this morning, though, is that God loves patiently. And what a privilege that is. 2 Peter 3, 9 declares, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Everyone. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. He will not be patient forever, but until the time when He returns, God will be. I shouldn't say that. Let me back up. I shouldn't say God won't be patient forever. What I should say is that God won't wait forever. But even up until the day when Christ returns, His patience will continue to be present. Because patience is not something God does. It is part of who God is. As a frail human being, I have to work to learn patience. Because patience is not a stamped-in part of my character. As a matter of fact, uh, I, I, some, of, some people uh, that are related to me might suggest that impatience is a stamped-in part of my character. And what I'm trying to do is, is run that part out of my flesh and instead to, to look more like Jesus, right? But, but the Lord doesn't have to try to be patient. God is patient. Why? Because He doesn't take joy in the destruction of the wicked. Instead, the angels rejoice over one sinner who repents and is saved. God is patient. Isaiah 9 is a prophecy that will not find its full and complete fulfillment until Christ returns. Why then would God give this? Why does God give us this promise of the one who was to come? Why do we have this? Not only a promise that is fulfilled in Jesus, but a promise that will find its ultimate fulfillment at Christ's second return. Why would he give us this this word of one who was coming, who would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace? Why? Because God is patient, wanting that none should perish. God gives warning after warning after warning after warning. Pleading after pleading after pleading after pleading. Begging and begging. Urging and inviting. Why do we have these words of prophecy? God wants there to be no doubt that when Jesus arrives on the scene, there is no question as to who he is. You understand that there was no requirement on God's part that he give us these words of prophecy. Jesus' presence alone should have been enough for the world to know who he was. But God wants to make sure not only that Christ is self-evident in his existence, but that God has taken away all sorts of excuses that we might have. How would I know that Jesus is the one that he claims to be in large part? Because God has sent us so many markers on the front end because he is patient with us. Knowing that we are hard-headed, that we are stiff-necked, that we are hard-hearted. God gives every, every opportunity for us to believe. He wipes away every excuse so that when Christ arrives, 
We say not only with the shepherds, but with the Old Testament prophets, glory to God in the highest. God is patient. God's patient with me, and God's patient with you. How do we behave when we're impatient? Now, I'm going to describe how I know some of y'all behave when you're impatient. I've heard that impatient people are irritable, resentful, rude, and pushy. I work with some people like that. Some of you watching at home are like that. Some of you gathered in this place are like that. And the guy being pictured on your video camera screens is just like that, isn't he? That's me, in case y'all hadn't figured all that out. The guy that looks at me in the morning can be irritable and pushy, especially when I got somewhere I want to be. Now, I'm going to tell you what I do. I get up on Sunday mornings in the dark, and I get myself dressed, and I leave my home. I leave my home with a cup of coffee and my breakfast in my hand, and I drive to my office. And you know who I get ready for church on Sunday morning? Me. Me and me alone. That's it. The only other person that occasionally I deal with on Sunday mornings is the dog. If he gets up and meets me at the door, I let him out. Then I bring him back in. Then I leave. I give Angela a kiss on my way out the door. But usually she's still in the bed when I leave. I get gone. And there's a reason for that. First of all, I need to be here to make sure that my mind is in the right place. When I, when I stand up to deliver a sermon to you all. I have last-minute things that I want to craft in my sermon. There are things that I set aside and wait for on purpose until Sunday morning because I want it to be fresh for me. But I'm going to tell you what, there's another thing that I know me. And if I'm trying to get my kids out the door on Sunday morning, y'all don't want me standing up here to preach to y'all on Sunday morning. You understand? Because I'm going to have to stand up here and, and spend half of my sermon repenting because I was not patient. Get in the car. Get in the car. Please get in the car. Please get in the car. Get in the vehicle. I don't care what you're wearing. I don't care what you're looking. I don't care if you have shoes on. Please let me leave. I've taken to doing this thing. Parents, I encourage you. If your kids are old enough to, 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 to be by themselves some. Or, or, so if I, if I am taking my kids somewhere, wherever that might be, maybe we're going to get a milkshake. Maybe we're going to go. Hunting is my favorite thing. It's my, my favorite thing. I'll call. You guys want to go hunting this afternoon? I'm on my way home. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to do these six things. I need you to put this on and this on and this on. I need you to get this, this, and this. And when I get home, I'm going to get dressed. I'm going to get the guns and we're going to go. But I want you to be ready for me when I get there. I want you to be waiting. I love it when I drive in. Can y'all? I love it when I drive in and I get out of my truck and I run inside to get ready. And I, All right, daddy's home. Let's go. And I come in and everybody's still sitting around on the couch in their shorts. It is the best thing. It is awesome. I just, I cut backflips. I celebrate. It's great. Smiling is my favorite. I love it. These are the kind of things that happen in my life. But good, the good thing is, I'm such a patient, loving father that when that happens, I go, oh, children. Oh, children, my children, I love you so. No, that's not what happens. I walk in, I come through the house throwing clothes off because we're in a hurry, and I pass a kid, and I back up. I go, what? Why are you not ready? Oh, uh, I, uh, I didn't know. You didn't know? You didn't know what? I know none of you parents have ever been that way, right? Some of y'all, that was, the, that was this morning, wasn't it? You called to their bedroom eight times for them to come for breakfast. 
And finally, after the eighth time, you assume that there must have been a miraculous sound barrier placed in between you and them during the night. And so you go up and you open the door and you say, Dear child, I love you so. I've prepared you a nutritious meal of Fruit Loops and eggs. Please come eat your breakfast. And you open that door. And what you find is a room that has exploded. A child that is sitting there in like a towel or a t-shirt. And you go, why are you the way you are? What happened in my life? I know that laugh. That is the laugh of knowing. Why? Because we are impatient by nature. You see, here's what I love. It's those kids. It's, my, it's not my wife. She's in the back. It's, you're beautiful and wonderful. Um, you know, it's those church members. It's, it's, the, it's me. It's me. Angela shared with me. She, she'd gone to a drugstore the other day um, and to, to pick up. So I don't know why she was there. But she talked about a lady in front of her berating the, 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 the woman checking them out. Just absolutely berating her, cussing at her because she wasn't moving fast enough. Why would somebody behave that way? Because we are impatient. We are impatient. I go to the grocery store line. And I push my little cart and I socially distance myself from all the people. And I've got my mask on. And the thing that thrills my soul is when I push my cart up there and there are two registers open. I get so excited. And I think, oh, here it is, an opportunity for me to grow impatience. No, I don't get that way. I look around and I go, why are there two lines open and there are 14 that are closed? Because, you know, it's going to take me at least three and a half minutes to stand in that line. See, I'm the problem. And look here, before y'all start judging me, you're the problem. Deal with it. But do you know who isn't that way? God is not that way. He is patient and kind. God's the opposite of us when we're in a hurry to get out the door. That's one of the beautiful aspects of God's love toward us. With each and every sin and rejection, He continues to reach out to us, to speak into us, and to invite us to know and be known by Him. God is patient, and prophecy shows us this patient love of God. And we can look at all of God's prophets. We should begin maybe all the way back with Noah. God is patient, not just with Noah. God is patient with Noah's people. How long did Noah spend building an ark? How how long? Huh? 120 years with a hammer. 120 years of Noah constructing this ark. 120 years of people walking past going, what are you doing, you crazy lunatic? And Noah going, God is judging this world. 120 years of the same sermon over and over and over again. Why? Because God is patient, wanting that none should perish. And God is patient with you, and God is patient with me. God is love, and God deserves 
our love because he loves us so patiently. You say, Craig, what does this have to do with Isaiah 9? I'm going to tell you it has everything to do with Isaiah 9 because in his patience, God prepared the way. God warned the people. And folks, do you know that God is still warning us through Isaiah 9? Because he tells us that there is coming a government that he will rule. And in that government, there will be an increasing peace. That he will be seated upon the throne of David. He will rule over his kingdom. He will establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He is warning us that the day is coming when all will bow under the authority. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in that word, there is an urging to us to bow and worship. God is patient. God loves patiently. And thirdly, this morning, God loves always. As I just read, Isaiah 9, 7 says, that the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I, 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 I can't get over, I, I never have been able to get over the Lord of hosts. We, we miss this sometimes because we just kind of read over it quickly. The Lord of hosts. What are the hosts? This is the Lord, the God of angel armies. The hosts of heaven. This is the God that we serve. Here at Christmas time, there's a reason, and my wife is passionate about this. There's a reason there is no angel on our Christmas tree. Because the Bible doesn't give us these pictures of precious moments, angels, but of angel warriors. And if there were an angel in our Christmas tree, it would be an angel with a sword and a spear. And we can't have that in our den because our children would see that as an encouragement to regularly engage in battle with one another. So our tree has a bow and lights. But he is the God of angel armies, the Lord of angel armies, the Lord of hosts. But how long, I'm, I'm sorry, that was sort of a, a side note, just for the record. I get excited about it. God loves always. Now, when we run back to 1 Corinthians 13, we read love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We, we take that here with this idea in, in, in verse 7 that there will be no end of this rain, this forever kind of rain. And we run back to 1 Corinthians 13 again. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Even in our English translations, we understand that the, the thing that ties this together in 1 Corinthians 13 is all things. Now, in the Greek, the, the, the word there is panta, P-A-N-T-A, is the way that we would spell it in our English language. P-A-N-T-A. That word can also be translated always, all things, big, uh, all-encompassing word. And the idea here is that God's love, the idea in 1 Corinthians 13, because 1 Corinthians 13, we're not careful, we get this, um, that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Does that mean that God believes lies? No, obviously not. The, the, the idea here instead is that God believes always. He sees the best side of us. This is what love does. Love believes in the best opportunity. Love looks at the best options. Love looks at what could be. 
So the idea here is that God's love is continual and has no limits. God loves always and His love can't be exhausted. It can't run out. Yesterday, we took our kids snow tubing. And uh, one of my kids was eating snow. And I said, quit eating the snow. And I turned around. They're eating snow again. Quit eating snow. I turned around. They're eating the snow again. I said, the snow's nasty. It's, it's snow, Daddy. And at the place, the snow tubing part where we were, they've got their, their, their collection pond. You don't know this. So, so when, when, when the place makes snow, they don't buy water. That's expensive. They don't usually pump it out of the ground. Instead, they have, they have big ponds where they, they collect everything, right? And they just pump water out of that pond, and that's what they use to make their snow. I said, that's nasty. Oh, it's snow. Look at it. It's pretty and white. I said, you see that pond down there with all the scum floating on top? Yeah. I said, that's where that snow came from. Oh, so they've got an unending supply of, of of water to make snow, but it's nasty. So you eat it if you want; it'll kill Corona, but it might kill you too. Okay. <laughs> but but I, I I I was just I was just reminded as we were there yesterday. There's this one thing that 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 ski lodges and snow tubing parks. One thing that they need to be able to do is they need to have this unending supply of snow. Because especially here in South Carolina, they, they can't do or in, we're in North Carolina, I'm sorry. But but here in, in, in the southeastern United States, they, they absolutely can't depend on there being enough snowfall to accomplish the goals that they have. And so they have these giant reservoirs for collecting water, and then they pump that water into these snow blowing machines and they they, they make fake snow out of all that nasty water. But they've got to have this unending supply of it, right? And it, and it kind of is, because if it gets hot enough to melt, then where's the water go? That's right. They, they blow it, and then it melts. It goes right back in the same little pond, and then they, they use it all over again. It's just a cycle of, of water over and over and over again. There are very few things in my life that I can say I have an unending supply of. Obviously, I don't, I don't have an unending supply of financial resources. Nobody does. Obviously, I, I, I don't have an unending supply of of food at my house. You know, we're constantly having to replenish these things. And I can remember that after Wyatt was born, and, and those of you parents, especially if you one kid, you don't know how much you can love something until you have your first kid, right? And then you're like, oh my goodness, there's so much love. And, and so then um, Angela gets pregnant with, with Aubrey, and, and I'm looking for it. And, I, and, and, and I, I remember having this thought of how... How am I going to, how do I love her as much as I love him? How is that possible? What you don't understand until the second one comes along is that, that you don't like somehow split the love in half. The love just multiplies, right? You love the second one as much as you love the first one. And so that meant that when it came time for, for two more kids in our family, we had no concern about it because we understood that love doesn't divide, love multiplies. And folks, I want you to know that when it comes to God's love, He's not divided His love among all of His people. Instead, He's multiplied it for all of His people. And it's multiplied exponentially. All the way into infinity. That God's love can never be exhausted. And that's the idea here, that, that there is a kingdom that, that He will rule over that has no end. And it's the idea in 1 Corinthians 13 that He, 
that, that, that he bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. This is the God that we serve. Always he loves. And so as we gather for Christmas this year, we worship a God who loves always and forever. And a God who loves you anyway. Our Christmas theme this year has been, it's Christmas anyway. But can I tell you that God also loves you anyway? This patient, unending, long-suffering, active love of God. You can't stop it. You didn't do anything to earn it. And you won't unearn it. Even in our darkest, ugliest, nastiest days, God loves us anyway. He loves us with patience. And He loves us actively. And He loves us. I want to say expensively, but that doesn't really work because for it to be expensive, there's this idea that it's rare, right? And it's not expensive, but it is expansive. So in conclusion this morning, how does God love? God loves actively, God loves patiently, and God loves always. But, but finally this morning, God loves completely. God loves completely. God loves you. And the love that God has shown to us and shown to the world, God has also called us to reflect. You understand that God loves completely and, and God has called us to be reflectors of that love, reflecting it to the world around us. I started off by saying that I'm not sure that I can remember, I'm sure I can't remember a year when we've ever needed Christmas more. And we're going to revise that at the end of this message and say, I'm not sure that I've ever known a time in our world when the world needed God's people to show His love more than it does today. Our world is hurting and suffering and struggling. And, and I think that what, what breaks my heart the most is how much we see strife we are so incredibly divided so divided we've even allowed the church to become divided the church is divided racially the church is divided politically the church is divided pragmatically and yet in Christ there is no division for in Christ we are one And here as we consider the fourth theme of Advent this year, love. Not only does God love us patiently, actively, always and completely, God has called upon us to be the people in this world that love in such a way that we seek to bring unity, hope, peace and joy to a world that is drowning in darkness. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Church, as we conclude this morning, let me ask you this. Has the light of Christ shone through you this Christmas season? 
to a dark and dying world. See, I'll go to meddling just for a minute here. There's a lot of things that we can talk about in 2020. There's a lot of things that have consumed our conversation. But we can choose to either project the light or project the darkness. So you can sit around and talk about election scandals or COVID crisis or uh, division or, I know this is crazy, the people of God could be known as the people who rise above everything else and speak more than anything about the hope of Christ at Christmas. That rather than focusing on the darkness, we could focus on the light. That rather than focus on the things that sometimes make us feel hopeless, we could focus on the one person who came to bring hope and peace and joy. That rather than allow politics to rob us of our joy, we could inject our world with the joy and the love of Christ. I know this is hard. I know it's hard because I know it's hard for me. But I know this. The king is seated upon his throne. And he loves you and he loves this world. It doesn't matter how broken and messed up, scarred and stained and dirty and filthy it is. He loves it. And he is patient, wishing that none should perish. And he's called upon us as his followers to carry the light. This evening, we're going to gather in the darkness, and we're going to hold the light of a candle. We're going to be reminded that the darkness is not overcome. But for goodness sakes, as the church of Jesus Christ, we've got to do more than symbolically be reminded that the darkness is not overcome. We've got to bear the light into a dark and dying world. How does God love? God loves completely, patiently, actively, and always. And God has called upon us to be the same kind of loving missionary people in this world. And so this morning, I invite you. I invite you to be light in a dark world. I invite you to be a love in a world filled with hate and shame. I invite you to bring joy and peace and faith. I invite and I urge you. I beg and I plead with you. Before you're anything else this Christmas season, be a child of the King. And carry the good news of the gospel. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that you would drive us out with the hope of Jesus. We live in a world that is dark and dying. Father God, may we carry the light. May we never be ashamed of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand with us this morning as we sing. We're indoors here. If you'd like, you can come and pray at this altar. I'll be standing to the side. If you'd like me to pray with you, I will. Pastor Adam, I believe Pastor Buster in the back. They'll be happy to do that. And if you're watching online at home, please let us know if we can care for you in any way. But sing this morning. God is worthy to sing together.